0: In our culture, we learn through stories. But what if the stories we hear don't match the reality of life? What if the stories we hear every day that tell us how to write the narrative of our lives actually lead us to a false narrative? My name is Tim Kroll and on this podcast you will hear real stories. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Real people sharing the hard times, the bends in the roads along life's journey. If you're ready to join a community of other real people who are writing the narrative of their lives, then go to narrative.live and join the community. Now let's dive into today's show. Story today, Dave just met Dave, but finding out that we actually have multiple connections. It's kind of funny how life works and all of the different pieces and parts and how things come together. So a good friend of ours, Mark Copeland, introduced us and then come to find out. You actually taught Steve English <laughs> over in Alpena. So we have actually like a thread of multiple connections. And so, like I said, I, I don't know you personally, but I'm excited to be able to start hearing some of the journey, some of the stories, and just the little bits and pieces that we talked about. This is definitely going to be an interesting component from an <laughs> English teacher to writing a book to all of these different pieces and parts. But let's start with this. We just met in an elevator. Give me the 30 second
1: Who is Dave? Who are you? Not what you do, but who are you? Can I start out by saying that I'm Steve's former English teacher? <laughs> <laughs> and, and for clarification,
0: Steve is one of the founders for Narrative. So, yeah, absolutely, you can say that. I'm gonna have to watch all of my grammar, grammatical. Gra- I'm, oh, I'm already messing up. So I'm.
1: <laughs> oh, you're good, and I actually retired from teaching, so that is uh, no longer a big concern for me at this point. <laughs>
0: Whew, I'm off the hook. That grammar was my worst subject. So you would have hated me as a student if I was in your class. I was like grammar, I I was a math guy, totally a math guy, not grammar. I was like, this is dumb. These are dumb rules. Anyway, we're going to get off that. Let's go back to you. Who is Dave? We're we're sidetracking already.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So (laughs) who is Dave? Yeah. So, well, thanks for having me on the show, first of all. I appreciate that. You know, so by trade, I guess I'll start there. By trade, I am a former English teacher and I'm a baseball coach. So that's what I did for my livelihood and my career. And I did retire two years ago from teaching in the public school systems. So at the point that right now I'm writing, but you know, those are all like surface level questions, like by trade, like what I've done. Yeah, I would characterize myself as a guy who just simply has tried to make a difference for a long, long time. And that goes back to my teaching career and it goes into coaching and the writing that I'm doing. I have just felt like we're living in crazy times right now. I think that most people recognize that. But this is not a new thing for me. I just want to help people out, and I want them to live their best lives. So whatever I can do to help to that end is my goal.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that, the fact of making a difference. I mean, like, characterizing yourself and creating that identity is is part of what we, we talk about here at The Narrative. So let's go ahead and jump into—and this is always the toughest part, because as we think back in all of the different things that we've done, let's jump into— what was it like growing up? What were the foundational beliefs that you had before you stepped into adult life? What were the things that you said, this is the way life is going to go? This is how it's going to happen. And then now, you know, we'll get into some of the other stuff. But right now, what
1: was the foundation? What was the growing up times like for you? Actually I want to start with my dad. I don't even really want to talk about myself to begin with, to be honest. My dad was a guy who he was a cycle breaker. He grew up in a really rough home himself as a kid. And he got kicked out of his house when he was 16 years old. He was out on his own. He was one of 12 kids. I mean, he was born in 1928, so like he went through World War II and the depression as, you know, they had growing up. And so he just didn't have a whole lot. His family, his dad specifically, was not very supportive. And so the home that I grew up in was with a dad and a mom who was really working hard to try to change the trajectory of what he had inherited himself. And so, you know, this might sound like a really funny way to navigate life, but i remember my dad saying that he did not have a really good role model himself growing up and so <laughs> you've you've heard of you know wwjd like what would jesus do and my dad would often think of what would his dad do and then he would go the opposite direction wow so i know that's pretty heavy stuff to start off the get go but that's the home life that my dad started with And so it was really important for him to be there to support us financially, to give us stability. Himself, he went on to, he is a teacher and a principal, you know, and even like just to put us through college. I know you and I were talking yesterday a little bit about, you know, there's different ways to go through life. And some people choose to go through college and other people go through trades. But for my dad, he he thought it was super important that if we wanted the opportunity to go to college, that he was going to financially support us. And so literally, I grew up on a farm down in the Lapeer area, and my dad, we had about 120 acres at one point. And as each of us kids, there was five of us that went through, when he could not financially afford to put us through college, he literally sold off chunks of the farm. And so him sacrificing for us was sort of a staple and a normal thing. And honestly, he was just trying to get over the hump and help us to get over the hump. And so, you know, that's tremendous. Like, I look back at my dad and the obstacles that he had. I don't know if I was born into the situation that he had. I'm not sure that I would have been able to overcome the things that he was able to overcome. So, that's all the really good side of things, right? But as a kid growing up, I was the youngest of the fives and I grew up with the idea that like college was just a given that i was going to go there i didn't really understand or know that i had other options you know as as hard as my dad was working to to make ends meet and to get us over the hump as a family and to send us down a different path than what he inherited relationally i never felt like i had a great relationship with my dad and it wasn't like it was a bad relationship he was just super busy he was farming he was a principal he had board meetings he was just a super busy guy and so that left me as a, as a young man sort of scrambling you know i grew up in church i learned bible stories as a kid but it just none of that really meant a whole lot to me at the time i just thought that they were antiquated stories and weren't necessarily really relevant to my own life and so as I headed off to college, I was really in the mindset that I just simply wanted my own path. I wanted it to look different than my mom and dad's. And so I was going to get out and I was going to go, you know, let's let's go get this college experience and let's see what this is all about and have a good time along the way. And in the meantime, like as I was exiting high school, I had started dating this gal who was just a wonderful Christian lady. And lady sounds older than she was, because she was a high school kid at the time. (laughs) And and then I was just exiting school. But, you know, her faith was very important to her. And we had dated for about a year. And we were, I thought that we were relatively serious. And as we got down the road in our relationship, one day, she basically just sort of laid out for me. She's like, you're a really good guy. And I like you. But She's like, I don't think that our paths and the direction that we're heading is necessarily the same direction. And what that really was referencing was her faith and my lack of faith. She just wasn't sure that that was going to coincide. And so, you know, that was uh, you're talking about like turning points and, you know, direction changers in life. But
0: Let's kind of dig into that because like you said, there was a lot of really great stuff that your dad provided for you in his own way. And like you said, he was trying to figure out how to be able to take care of the family. But the impact that it had on your life was that he was doing everything that he could to provide. And you were sitting there as a child looking at it and saying, I want you, I don't necessarily want the money, I don't want all that. But as a child, you're like begging for that attention and he just didn't have it to give because his way of providing, and again, that's pretty common for that generation was to, I'm going to provide all this stuff, but what impact did that have then? Like you said, that relationship, what impact did that relationship have on that belief of how you were going to operate your own life? You said, you're going to break away, you're going to do some other things, but that desire to have your dad's attention, how did that impact
1: you? Yeah, you know, I mean, honestly, I feel like I had a gap in my life. I just felt like I was incomplete and I really desired, you know, his approval. And so, you know, one of the things that I fell into was just sort of like the success mantra, like you have to succeed at everything that you do and failure just isn't really an option. And I'm not saying that I was some genius kid or anything like that. I was just I was a good student. I was a good kid. But I definitely had a a gap in my heart, and I just felt like the only way that I could really gather approval from him was through my own successes. And what's interesting about that is, you know, we just had really different interests. You know, my dad, like I say, we grew up on a farm. My dad was a 4-H leader, and so I was involved in 4-H and showing animals at the county fair and things of that nature, but I was a sports guy. And my whole world (laughs) revolved around sports. And so I was a basketball player, I was a baseball player and all my friends were athletes. And so I was throwing myself into that vein and he had zero interest in that whatsoever. And so it wasn't, you know, like, so one of the things that's become really important to me, like as I became an adult, was I, I just wanted to connect with my own kids. And I didn't want them to feel So so
0: let me pause you on that, though, because this is really an important aspect, because I love where you're going, and I know what what you're going to say here, and I think that's really, really key. But the fact is, and, and maybe we can summarize it this way, and you can give it back to me in your words, but that gap that you felt, you were really literally trying to fill that gap with success. You were trying to use that success to be able to gain the attention. And... If you were to summarize that kind of concept as far as a false narrative or a false belief, how would you summarize that? Just like in a real quick statement, what was your false belief of how to be able to gain that attention?
1: I would just simply say that it's that doesn't stick. You can get all the awards and the accolades in the world. And I mean, at the end of the day, I didn't come to this conclusion until much later on. I'll give you for instance. okay. so after I got out of college, I started teaching. I hopped into uh, coaching baseball and I was a varsity coach at a really young age. The kids I was coaching like were two and three years younger than me. So I hopped right into this. And quite honestly, I had a lot to figure out. And so I remember going to a baseball clinic down in Toledo. It's nothing other than baseball coaches and their staffs. And I'm sitting there as a kid looking around at the audience and, I, and I'm just looking at all these coaches. And in my mind, I'm thinking, who's the best here? Whoever that best is, like, I want to find out what they're doing. And then I want to be that person. <laughs> so in a crowd of 500 baseball coaches from across the Midwest, I'm, I'm literally looking around trying to size up. Who is it here that I need to to top? And that's 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 sort of an unhealthy mindset. You know, like I wasn't really thinking about my program or my kids. I was looking at establishing my own reputation and my own bravado and for my own ego. And like I say, it wasn't until later on that I had a a, a real shift in mindset of like, hey, this really isn't about you. This is about the kids and providing a good experience. Them. <laughs> i so think what it's, created uh, that?
0: that i mean that's a great transition so what created that shift of where you were currently at with that false belief of success and wanting to top everybody and to be the best that's out there what was the situation or circumstances that allowed you to start that shift or that mindset change from that component to what were those circumstances was it a, a big lightning bolt that came down and struck you on top of the head or was it something something completely <laughs> different than that <laughs>
1: Well, I would say the best thing that ever happened to me was becoming a dad, because once I had kids of my own, I had to start to learn, you know, you learn to set aside your own goals and where you want to go, and you start to focus on your kids' needs, and I think that it just forces you to become more generous. I mean, well, I I shouldn't say that. Not everybody responds that way. What it did for me was it made me look at them and go, this is no longer about me. I've got kids to raise and I want to help them to get to their goals, whatever they are. And even from the very beginning, when they were little, I always wanted to be a really involved dad. So, you know, having kids really shifted my paradigm and it got away from my own self-centeredness and my own ego and to start looking, and I would say this, even like in my marriage, it affected me too. It, you know, my wife, God bless her, she was very patient with me because there was a good chunk of my ego that played out in my teaching, that played out in my coaching and just how I responded. And, you know, eventually I got to the place where I recognized like, this is not healthy, you know, and, and I also think that it was apparent. I don't know, you know, how many times you've been in a room or been around somebody that has a pretty sizable ego, and they don't even recognize that everybody's chuckling at them because of the things that they're saying and how they're acting, right? Yeah. And I think there was a period of time in my life where I probably had other guys and, and gals that were just looking at me, shaking their head inside, going, you've just got so much to learn.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, but it's interesting when you talk about these concepts, because you're looking at it from a perspective of, your dad modeled an unselfish or a very giving attitude, which obviously was a very good foundational narrative that laid that within you, which gave you a solid belief. But yet there's still that part of you that wanted that attention. And so therefore you had this competing aspect of one, seeing the example of somebody that just gave unselfishly, and then yet desiring that for yourself of, I need that attention. And that's a natural thing. It's interesting to see that suddenly by having a a child that that kicked in that other side of things. And can you walk me through some of that? What was going on within your brain or within your
1: head or, or within the life? So I would say this too: to go back with my dad's stuff as a kid growing up, his sacrifices and unselfishness honestly didn't. I didn't get it, I was it didn't register to me as a kid. He was a dad, I had a mom, they were do, taking care of us like everybody else's parents were at the time, and so I didn't see them. I didn't understand the sacrifices that they were making until I was an adult, and then I looked back and I was like, wow, like was sell, literally selling your farm off so that I could go to college and not have debt. Like, what a huge sacrifice, but I didn't understand any of that until I was an adult, and as a kid, I was just focused on me and my goals as an athlete and what I wanted to achieve. The whole kid thing, though, I mean, like I did have a good example of a dad who provided and, you know, gave me opportunities that he didn't have. I don't know. I guess I just think that as I had my own kids, I don't know if it was that modeling, if it was me maturing, you know, to back up what you know, I became a believer in Christ when I was about 20 years old, hmm. and that was the biggest paradigm shift that ever occurred. And if you read scripture, humility is a, is a characteristic that's desirable, and so you can sit there as a believer. I'm reading scripture and I'm reading about somebody that's not me, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it right, and so I knew. I knew that where I was at wasn't necessarily healthy, but I also wasn't to a point where I was ready to make significant changes. But when I got to having kids, not only did I want to be an involved dad, but I also wanted to spiritually be an involved dad with their life and to be able to help them. You know, because like I say, when I was a kid going through church, those stories were dead to me. Like I just, it was like I was reading a history book and it didn't really mean anything. But when I became a believer, those words came alive, and it was like, wow, I can't believe how much this actually pertains to me and how relevant it is. And, you know, as I read scripture, like, I just started finding, like, wisdom in there that I needed. And, you know, my dad may have modeled it all the time, but I wasn't in a place personally where I was willing to accept it from him. I, I just felt the need that I had to do it myself. And so I honestly was super fortunate that my You know, my girlfriend and wife cared, you know, enough about me that she's like, "I just think you really need to slow down and assess where you're going." (laughs) And I always felt like God, like He really protected me. And you know, a lot of the things that I had in my mind going off to college that I wanted to do, He just sheltered me from it. You know, and I got involved with a group of guys that was just a great group of guys, and we were all similarly trying to sort out life together and seeking in the same direction and places and that group of guys, like I'm still super close to them. 30 years later, you know, we were in communication just about every week. I just think that we had that bond of like, we were seeking out who we were designed to be. I think maybe that was the thing with my parents. Like, I think I felt that I had to go in a certain direction with my my mom and dad. And I really needed the freedom to be able to make that choice myself. And it wasn't even necessarily that they were wrong. I just needed to be the one to take it on for me and say, yeah, that's what I want to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a key aspect in all of our lives is there comes a point in time when you have to make that decision, you either a are going to accept and embrace that as your own, or you're going to completely reject it and go the other way. But it's really interesting to hear kind of that, that transition and that flow of where you're at. And like you said, protected in some areas, sheltered in some areas, which was a healthy thing and a good thing, but then still wanting to experience and grow and become that individual of who you were meant to be, which is incredible. I mean, like there's so much talent and Oh, that's just incredible. So then as we kind of move forward and look at that, how do you craft your narrative today? How are you writing your story today? What are the things that you do that you feel leave the most impact and and you feel are are really, truly
1: fulfilling you? So I'm going to back up and I'm going to, and I'm going (laughs) to hit the last. That's that's good. At one point, I did a lot of growing up in my twenties and When I finally got to the point where I understood that God had given me positions where I could impact other people's lives, that really started to resonate with me. And I started to think about teachers or coaches or youth leaders that I had had in my own life that had stepped in for me and really made differences in my life. And at one point, I finally recognized that like God had put me in a place where I was I was being given that same opportunity. And the question was, was I going to actually mentor and try to do anything with it? Or was I just going to, you know, teaching? Is it just a career or is that actually a passion? Is that am I going to use that as a platform to really try to help impact kids and help them achieve their own dreams? And so I would say in my late 20s, I got to a place where I, I just recognized, you know what? I had some really unique platforms here as a teacher. I get to walk in, in front of 120 kids every single day. Do I want to have a positive impact in their life? Do I want them to come into my class with a smile on their face and enjoy being there? You know, or do I just want to make money and do I just want it to be a job? And the same thing with coaching, you know, I had gotten to the point where I set aside my ego and I was like, okay, no, this is about the kids and let's see what we can do. And I just love the I loved the aspect of teams where every year we started all over brand new and we had to build something every year was building a new team. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that I found just super fun. But but the relational aspect of that really started to come along. And I was so grateful for people that had intervened in my own life that I recognized that I was being given that same chance. And so I really simply wanted to walk it out. And so, you know, know, you're not going to hit every kid in a classroom and not every player's going to love you. I mean, like, that's just not reality. But, you know, as a whole, I think... I think I tried, I tried daily. <laughs> That's all I can say. I can't talk about the results, the, you know, ask Steve, he was a student of mine, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I, I did try, I tried every single day to make a difference. And I tried as a coach, I tried as a teacher, when it came time to parent my own kids, like, you know, I was definitely involved in their lives and I was involved in their activities and helping to coach their teams. And so, you know, I just wanted to make a difference because I felt like people had done that for me. And I'm going to take this down. There's a caveat to this. And so you had alluded to, you know, at this point I'm doing some writing and I've got a couple of books out. It was in my late twenties. My my wife and I were exploring We loved adventure, and so we became campers, and we started playing around in the Upper Peninsula, and we started going to the Canadian side and going over into Ontario. All right, so for those that are listening... We live in Northern Michigan
0: and our playground is what we call the Upper Peninsula. And there's an Upper Peninsula of Michigan that is pretty barren as far as population. And so that's what Dave's talking about is the ability, we get to go up across the bridge into the peninsula and just experience outdoor life in a way that I can truly say most Americans have never ever even experienced. So that's what you're referring to. And I I know deeply because I've done the same thing, but for those that are listening, this is a truly unique experience that Dave's talking about to be able to actually go in the wilderness, not be connected with cell phones, not be connected with technology. You are literally you and the wild. That's what it is.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. So what I found as we started to do some of these, you know, backpacking trips or hiking trips, was that I just discovered I absolutely loved being out there. And yeah. as I was raising kids, I also found that it was a fantastic connecting point for my kids. And honestly, I discovered that it was sort of the gift that I could give them. Because like when we would take backpacking trips, you know, we would go to some pretty remote places where there was no cell coverage. And so I purposely tried to connect. I would try to find trails and places where I knew that that wasn't even an option. And so it was us as a family, I had four kids and my wife and we would take off and we would do this wilderness adventure backpacking trips and be gone for a week. And we did things, it was just so fun, you know, there's no cell service, we are talking to each other. I would rotate my kids by the day as to who got to lead, like, okay, Caleb, today you're the leader, tomorrow, Logan, you're the leader, the next day. And I would juggle the order intentionally of even like how we, you know, because you're in a single file line going down the trails, right? And so I would juggle that so that we had the opportunity to talk to different people every single day. And develop relationships every single day with a different person, even though it's in our own family. Yeah. And I would give them leadership opportunities and we would do crazy things. Like if the kid couldn't find the trail, we would simply follow their lead until they discovered that we weren't on the trail and that we were wrong. But that's part of being a leader is backtracking and finding out, okay, learning that You back? can
0: fail. I love that. This concept right here, I know, cause I have some listeners that are in the actual like New York city kind of idea I don't know how to express this to you until you experience it. So what Dave is talking about is an experience that truly is a wow moment. And it is, man, I I guess I just, I don't know how to express, because I, I know exactly what you're talking about, Dave, because I've experienced it. But if you were to tell somebody that had no concept of, like, really, you can be disconnected, really, you could do that. If you were to explain something like that, how would you explain it to somebody that has only grown up with concrete buildings and blacktop pavement and they've never experienced like the deep woods of like, how would you express that? How would you explain that kind of an experience?
1: There are two key words that I would throw out to these experiences. Number one is solitude and number two is refreshing. Mm -hmm. I think that this is a this is a huge passion of mine. I love seeing people, like you're talking about city dwellers or people who don't normally get to live this life. I love being able to share what I do with them. It's one of my favorite things to do because creation that surrounds us, and we do live in a beautiful area, but there are areas that are even more spectacular than where we are. You know, like you get out to the Canadian Rockies or you go to Alaska and like, it is breathtaking. And you stand there. And another way that I would describe this, and I think this is so healthy for instance, let's take a mountain trail that I hiked out in Alaska. You stand on the mountain peak overlooking a valley and you can see for 50 miles and you can see wild animals, a bear and moose and a river that's flowing down below you. And it makes you feel so small, makes you feel tiny, like you're a dot on this planet. And I actually think that that's super healthy because like I was talking about earlier, I think that we all have this way of being super egocentric and the world revolves around us. And I think it's fantastic to get into this beautiful place that reminds you like, wow, look at how much bigger the world is than what I see on my daily basis. Mm. And it is refreshing and it is grounding. And that solitude for some people is actually really scary because we're so addicted and so accustomed to have an instant communication with us. For a while, it's, it can be a little bit scary for people. But what I can tell you is is that the more that you do it, and when you start seeing things, this is also one of my favorite things is, I just feel like we've been able to witness and see a lot of things that 99% of people don't ever get to see by being out there. And there's such a satisfaction in the fact that, like, we had to work to get there too. It wasn't handed to us like that, that backpacking element of getting out there and doing this it's hard work. And honestly, like my kids would all tell you, everybody's going to have a breaking point at somewhere, somewhere along the, the line of a trip where you just lose it and you feel like you just can't go on any further. But then you do, and you then you down, find out. And then there's more inside of you. You've got more than what you thought you had. And my daughter will tell you to this day, she's like, when she does hard has to do with something that's hard now, she goes right back to our backpacking trips that we took as a family. And she says, I already have done hard things. I can do more to me. Like, I think that's so special.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So uh, yeah, and I love where you and I can tell you're passionate about it. And I think that's incredible. But, you know, as we kind of wind this down. If there's one thing that you can leave with the audience, if there's one statement, one, like, capsule of information that you feel like, hey, I've got to get this out, what would that be?
1: There's two different directions. I want to take this, Tim. So I'm gonna try to be quick on both fronts. (laughs) (laughs) One. I am very passionate about being a dad and helping and seeing other dads step in to help their kids and becoming that role model for their own families that maybe they didn't even have. Every one of us has that opportunity to step in on behalf of our kids and to really help guide them and develop those good quality relationships. So it might not be backpacking, you might find other avenues to connect with your kids and that's irrelevant as long as you're connecting. So. I think we need dads involved in families, and I think we need dads involved in kids' lives, and I think it makes a huge difference in grounding those kids and their self-esteem and their self-worth, and I think that we can alleviate a lot of stumbling blocks for them if we have that healthy relationship. And the other thing is, so your podcast is about stories, right? So the books that I've written, I've got Swim Upstream and Breaking Camp that uh, is my newest release that's out there. These are collections of my family's outdoor moments in mountains and rivers, fishing, hunting, backpacking, canoeing. And what I have done is I've put together stories that we have experienced together. And literally, they are just simply analogies that lead to, at the end, there's an application point. And some people call it, you know, some people call it a spiritual application point. Some people would say it's like a character building application point. But I believe in the power of stories. I believe in what you guys are doing and I believe in what I'm doing because I think stories impact lives much deeper than if you simply quote stats and statistics. Or I heard this from a, I think that there's power in a story. And I think that, you know, for me as an author, it's a privilege for me to be able to share my own family's experiences. And I just, I really hope that that inspires other people to take a look and reflect at their own lives. Because what happens is when I get out in the wild and when I'm doing these trips, it's solitude for me. And it really makes me ponder and think about my own steps of where I've been and where I'm heading. And so I just love the opportunity to share that with people. And, you know, hopefully they can read these and just go, you know what? I find myself in a similar spot And, and trying to navigate similar issues. And hopefully I can provide some encouragement for people yeah so how can people get in contact with you where, where can they find you So email would be info at damyersbooks.com info at davemyersbooks.com or they can go on my website which is dave Myersbooks.com and there's a contact me tab on there that they can click on and they can send me messaging that way if they'd like. Perfect. Perfect. And we are going to
0: have those in the notes. So if you're listening to this on an audio, go back, check those notes. That way you can actually get in contact. But these are actually really cool. And I know just a side note that you're actually getting those in some of our local stores. And I know that there's a lot of groundswell of some local support for your writings and for the storytelling. And again, it is important because the stories are how we live our lives. That's how we learn. It's how we actually are able to then craft our narrative that's how we are able to now figure out how to be able to write our future and write the narrative that we want to live so until next time guys gals those that are listening man please hit that subscribe button follow us love to be able to have a chance to connect with you if something was said today i'm telling you right now you've got to reach out to us because that inspires us in ways that i can never even share or even express if something that they've said reach out to them, let them know, because that is really where we love the connection. We'd love to be able to hear it. So until next time, keep writing and crafting the story of your life. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the author of your story? Take the next step now at www.narrative.live enter your details to connect with a community of others just like you that are tired of living under the false narrative. Finding your true story and writing your narrative, it will give you clarity, freedom of your day, and it just might change your life forever.